Welcome to Cool Breeze Over the Mountains, a podcast where we chronologically step through and discuss each film starring Keanu Reeves. My name is Andrew Gormley, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined on this episode and every episode by my co-hosts. She is dealing with the oddity of time travel with the greatest of ease, Whitney Nelson. (laughs) (laughs) And he knows... San Dimas High School Football Rules, Evan Wells. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's, uh, if you haven't noticed, we are recording an episode today about Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. But as we are wont to do, every time we move into a new year of his career, we want to talk about what was happening in the world in that year. So 1989. I'm going to run through a couple big events. I realized that there are just... Most of the headlines for any given year is just like a bunch of bummer stuff. And I'm not mm. trying to talk to clouds on a sunny day, if the two of you know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yep, I so, get it. We're going to go high level, kind of interesting stuff. The first of 24 GPS satellites were placed into orbit in 1989. Wow. So that paved the way for uh, Google Maps and Apple Maps or whatever you use there. We had a 1,000-foot diameter near-Earth asteroid miss us by 400,000 miles. Nintendo begins selling the Game Boy. I had one of those. Uh, That was fun. (laughs) We had uh, Exxon Valdez oil spill. That's kind Mm -hmm. of a bummer. But then we had the fall of the Berlin Wall, which was pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. 1989 in film, for me personally, is another one of these years where if I could only... If I was forced to watch only films from this year... I'd be okay. You two tell me if that's the case for you as well. We have Batman, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Back to the Future Part Two, the best one, don't at me, Dead Poets Society, Turner and Hooch, Field of Dreams, Pet Cemetery, The Abyss, Major League, Weekend at Bernie's, Do the Right Thing, Roadhouse, and our best picture winner, Rain Man. Mm. What do we think? All right. You know, you know what you have to do. This was not as good as the last batch of films, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think okay. so. Okay. The, the last batch of films had more, like if I had to choose between the last time we did a year and, and what was in film and mm-hmm. this one as like the only movies you could watch forever, I would definitely choose the last time we ran down this list. There's some okay. good ones on here and I think I would probably be okay, but I don't think it's as good as the last time we went through sort of like what was happening in history. Andrew, which one do you, are you going to watch the rest of your life? The rest of my life out of this list? Yeah. I I think most people would assume it would be maybe Batman, but I'm going to pull on the the one that tugs on my heartstrings and go with Dead Poets Society. Okay. That's a perfect film for me. I could not watch that forever. Could not. Just, yeah. Oh, Captain, my Captain? That's a terrible movie to watch forever. Yeah. Maybe. The only Maybe. movie you can see forever is that one? No, I couldn't Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. That's a great one. Indiana Jones. Yeah. yeah. I'm, going, I'm going with Field of Dreams. All right. Costner. A little Solid James, choice. A little James Earl Jones. <laughs> That's oh true. Oh, my gosh. If you build it. All right. Fair enough. They'll yeah, come, Ray. My mind. I'll, I'll go Weekend at Bernie's. So, there we go. Okay. Followed closely by Roadhouse. A lot of, lot of sweet, <laughs> lot of sweet roundhouse kicks in that film. Absolutely. <laughs> and then on the small screen that that same year, we have a couple things that were very formative in my childhood. We had uh, Saved by the Bell, mm-hmm. Family Matters, mm-hmm. Tales from the Crypt, Baywatch, mm-hmm. and The Simpsons. So a lot of a lot of interesting television kicked off in '89. Yeah. Yeah. 
So like we said, we're talking about the 1989 film Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It was directed by Stephen Herrick, who has directed many other films that you know and many that I love. Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, The Mighty Ducks, The Three Musketeers, and Mr. Holland's Opus. So this guy, he went on, he also did Critters the year before, which was also a really good movie. (laughs) This guy had a very strong, like, late 80s, early 90s. With yeah, some of these movies, like that's it. And then he kind of fell off the map, but yeah, but he made some some big ones. <laughs> yes, I've those are like Saturday rewatches for me. Yeah. in my childhood, yeah, <laughs> like, not the Three Musketeers or Mr. Holland, but definitely the first two. So, co-starring alongside Keanu in this film is Alex Winter, George Carlin, Terry Camilleri, Dan Shore, and many many others. We are back, Whitney. At a movie that has critical and audience reception. And I am in awe of where we are. Do you want to talk a little bit about the reception here? Yeah. So the uh, critical reception is 78%, which is much higher than I thought it would be for the kind of movie that it is. Yes. Um, And the audience score is 75%. I would never, ever have guessed, if you asked me to put my life (laughs) On whether the audience or the critics would review Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure better, I would never have said the critics. Hmm. I'm I'm right there with you. I was not suspecting, even after rewatching it, because we have established that. So I've seen this, but going Mm -hmm. in, I did not look at any of the reviews before. I just wanted to see the movie. Yep. Yep. And I would have pegged this squarely in, like, as far as critical, probably the. 30 to 40% range for critics. Oh, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have put it that low, but I certainly wouldn't have put it. I, I actually probably would have put it around 65, probably. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's what I would have guessed. But I never would have guessed, like, whatever you told me the audience was, I would have assumed that it was higher than the critics across the board. Because this is not something that I felt like would be better critically received than <laughs> by the public yeah. at all. Right. Yeah. We have a, a quote here from Variety, uh, and this is uh, just Variety staff, not attributed to any one person. So Reeves, with his beguilingly blank face and loose-limbed, happy-go-lucky physical vocabulary, and Winter, with his golden curls, gleefully good vibes, and bodacious vocabulary, propel this adventure as long as they can. Mm-hmm. I think that was pretty accurate. Yeah, I mm-hmm. had I had thoughts around the vocabulary as well. Like the, 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 I also have thoughts around the vocabulary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was great that they like weaved uh, a pretty good vocabulary into into these guys that were otherwise, you know, kind of just these bums. Like it was it was perfect. It was a great juxtaposition. Well, I yeah. actually had a problem with it because I don't feel like people. Teenagers that have that good of a vocabulary are that bad at school in general when they pick up those kinds of words. I actually had the same problem. It reminded me a lot in places, and they're nothing at all alike, but Buffy the Vampire Slayer is not at all like this. But those are also teenagers, and several of them do not do well in school and all have are incredibly articulate and have crazy vocabularies and that have a very unique, like, language styling and it reminds me of that too when when like xander is doing bad at school in buffy the vampire slayer and i'm i'm like that's just not how people who do bad at school talk yeah you know like 
I understand the building a world and creating a sort of language, and I definitely appreciate in this movie the fact that you you have to do that for the characters and, and what you're doing. But also, I think the fact that they were so articulate with some of the words that they used, that, that they would not be, like, flunking out of high school bad at school. Right. I know that the movie positions them as... It's, it's actually tough to see how the movie positions them because you're like, okay, clearly they're failing this class, but everything else you see, they're, they pick up everything pretty quickly. <laughs> so that's my thing. So looking at the reviews, when I, after we, I watched it and I was looking through like both critical reviews and user, like audience reviews, everyone keeps talking about how dumb they are and how stupid they are and how like, airheaded and blah 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 all of these words that people keep using yeah. and i maybe i'm this is a case of like look what bill and ted hath wrought and i'm used to <laughs> everything that has come since but when yeah. you look at like always sunny in philadelphia or dude where's my car or any other thing where you're talking about the the humor is based on the people being stupid it is they don't ever catch on and that's what makes them stupid even like to me, it's much more like Michael Scott in The Office, where, like, by the end of The Office, he has caught on to certain things and he still doesn't see the world the way everyone else does, which makes him Michael Scott. But, like, yeah. he's at least grown a little bit and matured a little bit. These guys have picked up on everything that's been thrown at them. Mm. Yes. They they are, are pretty intelligent people. I just don't think they care about school. But, like, everyone keeps talking about how stupid these guys are. And maybe when this is the first of a long line of your protagonists are idiots. It was notable then, but I think now it doesn't play as them being that dumb. And it really made me angry all these reviews that I was reading <laughs> because these guys are not stupid. Yeah. They are problem solvers. They absorb whatever's going on. They can repeat it later once they understand it. Like, yeah, they're just focused on the band. These guys have an intelligence. They're just too focused on the band, but it makes me <laughs> angry that everyone is like, these guys are idiots. Yeah, I totally agree. They just their interactions and the way they within the span of, you know, what essentially is 36 hours, pull it all together. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very smart dudes. So yeah. we had one other user review here from Erica F. Rewatched this recently for fun. Totally still works in every way. Goofball comedy with the main character's charm. Apologizing for how campy everything is. Apology accepted. <laughs> Good late 80s teenage sci-fi adventure. They don't make them like this anymore. Good movie, good execution. I'm pretty much, I pick that because I'm pretty much right on board with mm -hmm. Erica there. Mm -hmm. The thing that I want to talk with both of you about, if you'll indulge me for a moment. I will. Is time travel. Yes. This movie, it, it hurts my brain a little bit when I think about it. Mm -hmm. And it's because it's a causal loop, just like Terminator, mm -hmm. <laughs> where... Everything works out for them because everything already has worked out for them. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, I, 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 don't get me wrong. I love time travel movies. And when they pull it off, uh, it, they're delightful. But I'm thinking, aside from Terminator, you have uh, 12 Monkeys, um, Back to the Future to a degree, and Looper. even Inter Looper, Interstellar. Like, there are movies that's like, oh, it works out because it worked out. Yep. <laughs> so you have to assume that the future is the present. So do you think too much about that when you're watching a movie like this? Or do you just sit back and, and let it wash over you? So I think that there are points where 
I am taken out of it. Interstellar is a good example. I was taken out of Interstellar by how absurd the time travel seemed to me. I think in this one, I actually thought it was kind of clever. Yeah. The like the the thing with the keys and the thing with the tape yeah. recorder and that we have <laughs> to do this in order to have it done and but it already has been done because that's how we got to this point. Like yeah. I think that they did it in a clever way. I don't think that they just sort of wrote it off as it's time travel. That's why it works. You know? Cuz I feel <laughs> yes. like there's a thing in Doctor Who where at one point I believe David Tennant, when it's his incarnation of the Doctor, he's, like, trying to describe, like, write off the time travel confusion. And he just says, eh, you know, time travel, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. <laughs> and that's well. it. And then they just kind of move on from there. And that's not a good enough explanation for me when I'm stopping to ask, like, wait, what's happening here? I never stopped in this movie to ask, wait, what's happening here? Because I felt like they... I felt like it was clever enough that even though it is a paradox of this has already happened, but it, like, when did it start in this causal loop? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another example, and this I didn't write, realize at the time, but uh, when I was reading reviews, someone had a big issue with this, was they, Rufus never introduces himself. They introduce Rufus <laughs> to them. Huh. And right, so yes. how did they ever learn Rufus's name? Because Rufus... <laughs> Rufus's name is, like, maybe, I think, said before in, like, the chamber before he goes back. But the first time that they hear this dude's name is from themselves. But when did they hear that? From themselves. And so, like, that's a big issue for some people, apparently. Yeah. Um, I had less of an issue with the stuff like the keys and the whatever. Because I feel like the keys thing could be worked out on the fly. And I feel like it's actually a good example of these guys not being stupid. Because the second that they're like, wait, we have a time machine... How do we get the keys to break these people out? And it's like, well, my dad's keys have been missing, so I don't even know where they are. And he's like, wait, what if we go back to two days ago and steal them when we know where the, he has them? I feel like that's something that people could do, even if it creates this sort of time travel paradox of we've already done it, so now we're going to do it kind of a yeah. thing. Yeah. The keys uh, have always been missing. <laughs> that, that's exactly. The... <laughs> that sort of... Being able to logically get to that step on your own independently and then having it be part of the causal loop totally flies for me. It happens because it already happened, never flies for me. Huh. And so, like, the, the Rufus thing bothers me, but that I didn't notice it at the time. That's literally only I knew it because I was reading a review and they were like, Rufus never introduces himself to the kids. So, like, how do they know his name? Because they walked out of the phone booth and they are like, hey, Rufus. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that is that is one of the more interesting parts of the movie that they kind of make an offhanded joke about too. It's pretty fun. Mm -hmm. Ev, are you? Uh, how do you feel about time travel in this regard? I, I loved it. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was really cool how they wrote it in there. Um, kind of what you guys are speaking to, but I just I got in my own mind for a second. I get to get taken away because I easily get sidetracked, and I was just thinking, oh my god, they have to remember to do that every time. <laughs> Right, and so That's I'm thinking, lot. you know, yeah. But I'm the thinking. thing is, they only have to remember to do it once. Right, and they don't but, have to remember to do it every time. They only have to remember to do it once. See, now I'm, now I'm gonna like, <laughs> I'm gonna melt Sorry, down as too, I try to figure it out. Is that too Jeremy Bear me for you? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> I'm done. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, That's cool. All right, I I I love I time like time travel. travel. 
yeah, yeah, it's the it's the best. And Back to yeah. the Future Two coming out this same year, it's like two of the best examples. Maybe I might actually err on the side of this more than Back to the Future, but it's very clear they have two different sets of rules they're working off of yeah. between this yes. and Back to the Future. Different approaches yes. too. Like Back to the Future, sure. didn't, they didn't care about like placing things or putting things somewhere to get them later. So that was a cool. What I will say is my favorite thing in time travel is affecting the present. Or, like, affecting the past and having it change the present. Yep. Like, yes. in Looper, when the guy is actively being tortured. Oh, he yeah. Doesn't, Losing he limbs doesn't, and like, stuff. He, he knows he's being tortured in the past because he's, like, losing fingers and his tongue and limbs as he goes. But he's, like, you know, it's still the present when it's happening. Or even yeah. in Back to the Future with the, like, people disappearing out yeah, of photographs. Photos, right. Or in this with the, like... <laughs> The keys are gone, but it's because I stole them, but we're just now thinking to steal them. That's my favorite part of time travel when (laughs) they do that of the like the decisions in the past are affecting us right now. And we don't understand how that's happening until it's like happened. I love that. Yes, that's it's really it it was really expertly done. You know, chef's kiss to this time travel is what I would say. I think so. so. I think this is some of the best time travel that I've seen recently. I'm still thinking over here. (laughs) <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't heard the past like five minutes <laughs> Evan tomorrow he stole the keys two days ago I don't understand what's so hard to understand about that <laughs> I guess where I'm thinking is like when his dad said to him where are my keys should he have known no that hasn't happened yet okay because that was going to be the first time yes. they did that really well too where they were saying like Make sure you have the tape go off at 2.13 because it's 2.12 right now. Yeah, this isn't the first right loop, now. though, Evan. Right. When you're saying this is the first time, it's not the first loop because Bill and Ted already came out of the phone booth to introduce themselves <laughs> to Bill and Ted. So it's not the first loop. Yeah, so the two that introduced themselves to themselves knew that the keys were missing for a reason. Well, they didn't know at the time that they introduced themselves. They knew later on while the new Bill and Ted were already on their adventures. It's so great. Right. It's it's confusing in the best of the best of possible ways. Really. Right. So, yeah, we can talk about it. We can continue to talk more about it, Evan. I can walk yeah. you through it. We, we'll, do, we'll do that offline, though. Yeah. So more overall. Andrew, did this movie work for you? Oh, my goodness. Oh, God. I am shocked at how much I left at this movie. Now, yeah. I count one Maybe this is different for the two of you. I count one very obvious joke that does not fly anymore. Yeah, well, okay, so I have a couple of things. There's, I have three things that to me did not hold up over time. All right. So, and we'll talk about those kind of when we get there, I think. I don't want to talk about them now. We can talk about them as we, as we get to them when we go through the outline. But yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. If I had to pull out one thing that did not fly, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> so there is that. Correct. But the how simpatico these two are, and I know yeah. that it's all the directing, but the times when they say the same thing at the exact same time and how mm-hmm. they interact, I I ate that up. I thought it was delightful and it funny was. in every conceivable way. <laughs> so I have actually a lot of feelings about this. Um, so... 
again, I went into this trying to have no preconceived notions based on, you know, obviously this there's a big cultural touchstone that I have missed with this. And I yeah. am familiar with some of the, the lingo and some of the, the air guitar and whatever has just seeped into like the zeitgeist. So I absorbed it. <laughs> but I tried to go in with a super open mind to this. I was blown away, blown away by how much I liked this movie. Yes. I went into it with very little expectation and I expected it to feel very dated and to enjoy it. But like in the perspective of time, I genuinely enjoyed this movie. I thought it was completely charming. It was surprisingly funny still. It was short and it was snappy and it was a very good case for making your movie shorter because it's like it clocks in at like almost exactly 90 minutes, I think. Yeah. And it. There's no part of it that I thought dragged or needed to be cut, which I almost always think in retrospect with almost every movie I see. I'm like, you know, there's a whole five minutes that should have been gone. Yeah. You didn't need it. I never thought that about this one. Um, And it was a really lovely bromance. Like, I feel like with the exception of the one joke that didn't play, which is directly tied into this really lovely bromance, it was a depiction of friendship that, like, heterosexual cis patriarchy hasn't allowed lately. Yes. Like, I, I think that it really stands out in a, they are such close friends. They are close friends in the way that, like, women are portrayed as close friends, but men are never portrayed in entertainment as being this close to one another. Like... Ted leaving for military school to Alaska is a problem because it breaks up the band. But it's also like Bill has a lot of weird shit going on in his life with his like teenage mother (laughs) and whatever. And he doesn't want to lose his best friend. And they finish each other's sentences and they are like physical with one another, not in a super like latent homosexuality way but just like in a good friend's way, in a way that you don't see much in entertainment. And I thought it was really, really sweet and endearing and actually is part of the reason why the movie plays so well is because these guys are such, such good friends. Hmm. That's true. That I And I think that might be a result of them. They're friends in real life. Even then they were friends. So that, that chemistry comes through. I think it definitely does come through. But I also think part of it is the writing too, of the like finishing each other's sentences. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When they decide to have them say the same thing at the same time or when they decide to have them finish each other's sentences is, I think, spot on. And it's a very small thing. But when it's like that one says no and the other says way or when they say no way together, like it's really expertly done in building that that friendship in the script even. Sure. Yeah, I I agree with basically everything you said. Ev, did you have anything to add in terms of their relationship there? No, no, no. I I, I it was fun to kind of latch onto and and think about any times that you've had a friendship like that. Oh and, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just like you can place yourself there pretty easily, especially when you're younger, um, and you just get into you know the most ridiculous things and and do all kinds of fun things. But um, yeah, I I liked the movie. I wouldn't say it was like blew me away good but uh okay. i definitely liked it it was fun to watch uh i'm a bit hard on comedies i think i you know i i judge them pretty sternly 
Uh, and, you know, definitely by far the best movie we've seen on this series. By far the best movie yeah. we've seen so far. So yeah. that's that's worth it. Um, that's worth saying. I think that says a lot. Yeah. yeah. And I, I do think that maybe a lot of my... It was, you know, like the humor was not super highbrow humor for sure. No, but like, I think that part of the reason why I liked it so much is that it's so earnest. And I am such a fan of unironic, earnest feelings. And so much of everything since about this time, maybe even a little earlier, like mid-80s and on, has so much irony in it. Even the comedies and there's meanness somewhere in there. Like so many of these 80s comedies, even Heathers, which is one of my favorites from like this sort of era, Mm -hmm. Heathers is so mean. And... There's just even Breakfast Club is so mean. Like there's yeah. so much meanness layered into stuff and 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 either it's mean or it's ironic. And in this one, it's so earnest, it's so genuine, it's so like on the surface of what these people are thinking and feeling. And I think that as someone who's kind of on the, you know, socialist social justice warrior end of the spectrum with stuff like I am, seeing such a non-toxic picture of being teenage boys which i literally i'm hard pressed to find two teenage guys being friends ever portrayed so wholesomely and so non-toxically um that made me really kind of is what put it over the top for me as a comedy itself it's definitely you know not my favorite comedy i've ever seen but i think those things taken all into consideration are really what what blew me away with it is how outside of its time it seems now even in today's day and age if that came out today i would be surprised by it and that's even in the current like climate i like what you said about how earnest it is you might yes. you might be able to describe this movie it's probably apt to say that this is the keanu reeves of movies even really yes i think it is <laughs> so everything uh, that we read or hear about him tends to point to the same kind of attitude about life. So it's yeah. it's like, oh, this all worked out for him, <laughs> really. Yeah. <laughs> In terms, I think we covered most of it, the pacing, solid plot. You know, we talk about time travel forever. I, <laughs> I like them as characters. I mm-hmm. really enjoyed the brief stints we had of Rufus, just because I'm a big fan of Carlin. That was such an amazing mm-hmm. casting. Like, I was... Honestly, I was surprised to see him in this movie, but I Perfect loved it. Perfect cast. I was also surprised. I did not know he was in it. I was surprised to see him, and I thought he was, it was spot on casting. He was such a good person for the role. It's crazy, especially in the 80s, to start a movie with a fourth wall break where Mm -hmm. he's talking directly to the audience, but just in that kind of... He's got that voice where it's just so caught. You're like, oh, it's George. We're good. We're in good hands (laughs) right out of the gate. Yep. I was reading for uh, Pop Quiz. This will not be a question. Clearly, I'm going to tell you the answer. But they were actually courting Sean Connery for that role. And it didn't work out. I could see that. It feels to me like a role that was written for someone serious. Yeah, it, yeah, that's basically what they were going for. And then, but the, but then the fact that George Carlin is in it, that it's so much better. Like it feels like when you just look at the straight dialogue of what he said and what the actions are, I could totally see them having like the narrator of the movie and the impetus for everything happening being someone more like Sean Connery. Hmm. Yeah. Although it's weird to think of Sean Connery in '88. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm not. Because <laughs> he's tough, like, yeah. he's like post James Bond, but pre anything else I've ever seen Sean Connery in. <laughs> yeah. In 88. I kind of wanted to see Carlin do like at least a couple jokes, though, because I can't take him out of that frame of mind where he is funny. I, I don't know if we were meant to laugh at him in, in a serious role, but I just I, I couldn't get out of the frame of mind of him as like a, a true comedian. Yeah, he has, for me, one of the scenes is there's a moment and he looks directly at the camera in like response to something that Bill and Ted say. And I lost it because it was just the look <laughs> that he gave. Yeah, it was he definitely great. doesn't. He definitely plays a straight man. Like he doesn't have lines that make him that are like due to George Carlin. But I yeah. do think that he added comedy to the role by just being George Carlin. But I think as far as line reads, they didn't give him any, anything extra. Yeah, they're like George, come by for you know. Th- given the amount of time he's actually in the film, yeah, what, basically two, the very beginning and the very set, end, maybe. <laughs> right, he he knocked it out. You know, like I said, it was like a last minute thing for him, but yeah, he, he knocked it out of the park as far as I'm concerned. So he did for sure. As far as the technical parts of this movie, I thought the cinematography was really cool. A lot of neat camera moves. They the, did some interesting stuff with like wide angle lenses yeah. and cutting between different like angles and and lenses and depths of field that I think really helped tell the story in a way I was not expecting for such a straightforward like comedy. Right. That's it's always it's always refreshing to see stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then clearly the special effects you know not not so much <laughs> holding up <laughs> yeah the... yeah not so much but i mean anytime that you do digital or cgi type stuff instead of practical effects if they had found a way to do them practical we would be fine still but all of them were like painted in and so they looked very dated but beyond that i i liked everything else about this so i do wish overall that as far as like characters go they didn't do much interacting with the historical figures that led to the end scene of them doing the presentation. Like, when did they learn all of this information about the characters? Because it wasn't when they went to go pick them up and they never interacted in between. Like, I would have loved just one or two crowded phone booth scenes where they're having conversations. Yeah, that would have been... I think I saw that in a couple of the reviews, too, where they... You know, they're the historical figures' first exposure to San Dimas is basically the mall. Yeah. (laughs) And... Bill and Ted's exposure is the five minutes in each kind of historical period where they go to pick the person up. Yeah, that's all we see on screen. And so I would have loved to see, and I I don't think we should have made the movie any longer because I think that at a tight 90 minutes, it's, it's really great where it is. But I would have loved to see even just 30 seconds of being in the phone booth while they're traveling from place to place with all these people in it of conversation. Of like, so who's your dad or how did you get to where you are or whatever. Even if the the historical figures didn't answer, just seeing that that's the only thing that I think as far as like technical stuff with script or plot or editing or anything that I would have liked to see in there to explain how they knew so much by the end about all these people. Because everything that we see on screen is not them learning anything about anybody. <laughs> Yes, that's that's true. Maybe it was all deep in their subconscious. They absorbed it. Like we said, they are smart people. They this are. Just jogged, they do pick up on stuff. their memory. Yeah. <laughs> Ev, do you have any other uh, high level thoughts before we get into the next segment? No, I'm ready. Let's do this. Are you are you both ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm so ready. All right. Here we go. Pop quiz, asshole. 
There was a time when I had the need to learn from you. Oh, what the hell do you know? Lose! I don't lose! I win! She's got a lot to learn about sportsmanship. Welcome to my new favorite segment, Pop Quiz <laughs> Asshole. <laughs> We've only done this once before, and we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants, but I think we have it nailed down this time. This mm-hmm. is very simple. Let's recap. Whitney is leading with five points. I have one point, and Evan, he <laughs> thought we were playing golf rules, and he has par. Wait, so we're not? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, there it is. Oh, my God. The rules here are very simple. The host will ask alternating questions. Let's 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 agree on 3, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And if the player gets it right, they hear this sound. If they get it wrong, they hear this one. I hear I hear that one a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Evan is already one episode into this segment. He's already familiar with that sound. Right. It's all I've heard, actually. Uh, well, all right, let's ho- let's ch- let's change it up. You you could do it. Okay. If the contestant gets it wrong, the other person has a chance to steal. So for mm-hmm. multiple choice questions, that's a huge advantage. For the yes. ones that's just an answer, you know, anybody that's anybody's guess. We haven't actually determined like what a grand prize for this would be, but when we catch up to or the most current version of Keanu's career, maybe we'll take a look at the points at the end, and yeah. then one of you will win the, uh, I don't know, the sealed in plastic uh, copy of Speed I have on Laserdisc. <laughs> so, <laughs> we had a listener, I, I went out and bought it, it's real, I'll, I'll post about it. So, are we ready? Yes. We're gonna start with Whitney, again. Okay. Screenwriters Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson discovered Alex and Keanu while in line at this fast food restaurant. Burger King, McDonald's, or Roy Rogers? Burger King. (laughs) I'm going to figure out how to stop the music when I play another thing. (laughs) Okay. Ev, would you like to try to steal? Um... Roy Rogers. You gotta go with those golden arches. It's McDonald's. Yeah, I was going. I was going vague. You know, I was going. <laughs> I was going weird. Well, my thing is Roy Rogers don't exist in California, so I knew it wasn't that. Okay. See, I see. I just I put knew that, that in there. Was a regional thing. Well, you know, local business, right? They might. Uh-huh. They might leave. Could have went with Hardee's. They could leave the state. <laughs> Who knows? They could, but they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> they, they could, but that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. All right, Evan, you're up. Here we go. Okay. Which of the following rockers said they gladly would have been in the film after having seen it in theaters? Dave Murray of Iron Maiden, Eddie Van Halen of Van Halen, or Mick Mars of Motley Crue? Uh, I'm going with Eddie Van Halen. You gotta did be it. it. Oh my right. god. You have a point. Oh, I can't wait for my laser disc. <laughs> Evan, we are tied. We are currently tied, buddy. <laughs> All right, Whitney, we're coming back to you. Yes. When Bill philosophizes with Socrates, he says, All we are is dust in the wind, which is a lyric from what band? 
Oh, god damn it. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, no. Yes, yes, yes. I yes. love this music. I love it. I, it adds so much tension. Ah, <laughs> uh, oh god. I'm thinking of a very specific time period, but I, the Eagles? I can't think of the rest of the song. Yeah. Evan? Kansas, 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 Kansas. There you go. <laughs> yes. All right. There you go. Evan pulls ahead of me. You, damn it. This one's for Ev. Footage from this 1956 film based on the work of Leo Tolstoy is used to introduce Napoleon. Whoa. Um. How the tables have turned. No, I, I, I've got nothing. That, that like threw steal, me. Steal, 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 steal. <laughs> All right. So wait for Evan. Thank you. Okay, but Whitney's gonna steal. War and peace. Wow, nice. Amazing. Good work. <laughs> when you see that section of the war happening, that is literally from the film War and Peace. They didn't even. That's awesome. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay, we're back to Whitney. I think this is a good one. All right, these two actors who were in final consideration for the roles of Bill and Ted, ultimately went on to act alongside each other in the 1992 film Encino Man. Here, it's multiple choice. Oh, wait, okay, Encino Man. Yeah, was it Brendan Fraser and Pauly Shore? Brendan Fraser. Wow. The first Go one? ahead, read the other answers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. It was either going to be some combination of Brendan Fraser, Sean Astin, and uh, Pauly Shore. But you nailed it. I, first I one. would not have guessed Sean Astin in any of those roles. Like, as soon as you said Encino Man, I was like, who is in that? I, do, I can't see Sean Astin as either Bill or Ted, but I could right. see Polly Shore and Brendan Fraser as Bill and Ted. I mean, I'm glad they weren't, because when I think about it now with Polly Shore and Brendan Fraser, I don't That's think funny. I would have liked that movie nearly as much, but Sean yeah. Astin just doesn't fit. Perfect. All right. Sean Astin is all Goonies and Lord of the Rings for me and nothing in between. <laughs> well, well, well placed. Well placed. All right, Ev, this one's for you, buddy. Including Bill and Ted. There are 10 people in the phone booth by the end of the film. The current world record for most people fit in a phone booth is 16, 25, or 32. Uh, 16. Mm, Wow. Whitney, would you care to steal? Wow. It was 16, 25, or 32? That's correct. I'm going to say 25. That's 25 that's men in a phone booth. <laughs> obscene. Yeah. I hate that. I knew it was more than 16 because I, I've done some research into phone booth stuffing as a fad <laughs> for a whole what? other thing that I've been doing. Yeah, I, I've been doing what? a thing about weird fads and like swallowing goldfish and all kinds of stuff. And, but yeah, I knew it was more than 16, but I would never have guessed 32. So that, that was definitely a guess, but I definitely didn't know the actual number <laughs> was that high. I would have guessed more like Incredible. 20. All right. I have a bonus question for both of you. So you both just, you have all the time in the world to pick your answer here, but this is a tough one, but you might okay. get it, but it's a tough one. It requires some other knowledge. Here we go. Is it first to answer? 
No, you can both get a point for this oh. if you choose the same answer. It doesn't matter. Okay. Hal Landon Jr., who's the guy who played Ted's dad in this film, mm-hmm. portrayed this historical figure in the 2011 film, The Artist. Your hint is that this figure was one of the people that Bill and Ted captured. One of the people that Bill and Ted captured, but is also in The Artist. Correct. Time period-wise, the only one that fits is Sigmund Freud. But I don't remember Freud in The Artist. I'm gonna go with, uh... Um, Napoleon. Okay. And Whitney? Sigmund Freud. Okay. I don't know how to do this. Uh, Evan. <laughs> Whitney. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. It's Napoleon. So, yeah, that's a. I have to figure out a way to do that correctly. <laughs> but, yeah, so there it is. All right. Awesome. I don't know. I, I wasn't keeping track of the points. Uh, so, I'm going to. We'll have to go back and listen. I think I have Evan 25 has, now. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, I did really well. Whitney has 6,000 points. There were some multipliers in there. (laughs) Right. Unbelievable. That was Pop Quiz Asshole. I love that segment. It's Mm -hmm. one of my favorites. One of my favorites. I'm looking forward to a time when Andrew is not the one giving the questions. Yes. That's going to be next week. Get on the board. Evan. Evan's going to be be in charge of stumping Gormley. (laughs) Do it. Do it. I have to buzz myself. That'll be interesting. Remember, I have the soundboard, so I have the power. So let's do our deep dive into this excellent adventure. Yes. Now, a motion picture so grand, so magnificent, and so vast, it spans 7,000 years. No way! Yes way! But it starts with Bill. I'm Bill S. Preston! Who is Joan of Arc? And Ted. Noah's wife? We are in danger of flunking most heinously tomorrow. A force from the future. Can we go anywhere we want at any time? You can do anything you want. Is putting history at their fingertips. Let's reach out and touch someone. They're traveling through time. How's it going, royal ugly dudes? Put them in the iron maiden. Excellent! Execute them. Bogus. How's it going, dude? And they're making a big impression. Historical babes. Now they're home. Everybody get together, remember who your buddy is. To trash the 20th century. That was audio taken from the trailer for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And the plot synopsis is as follows. When a couple of airheaded rock star wannabes are faced with the breakup of their band as a result of poor grades, help comes along in the form of an emissary from the future who takes them to the past to meet the people they have been studying about. Let's just start off with this this rather abstract opening sequence we have here, where yes. there's some sort of crystal comes from a hole in the sky <laughs> and we're not really sure what's happening here but there's like a really great song that's playing in the background too so good yeah all of the music in this with the exception of a few songs sound like they are hired gun bands so like you'll have a band with the name like power tool or something like that who you've <laughs> never heard of otherwise mm-hmm. but that happens a lot in this movie and i really appreciate it we start off with a fourth wall break george carlin aka rufus 
tells us about what we're about to see. He's got to go back and help these guys. They're in trouble. They're about Mm -hmm. to fail this test. And if they fail this test, the band gets broken up. And if the band gets broken up, the future doesn't exist. Uh, Apparently, (laughs) Wild Stallions, their band, is the basis for the belief system of everybody in the world in the future, which is pretty cool. Pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) We cut to our heroes in the garage, and they are pretty terribly playing guitar uh, and filming what would be a music video, I guess. If they were playing music, yeah. If if it was music, they they introduce themselves. Yeah, they were like, and then they talk about basically, (laughs) and they say they need Eddie Van Halen in order to have a rad video. The the logic here is a lot like this movie, The Time Travel. They need to have a good video, but in order to have a good video, they need Eddie Van Halen. But in order to get Eddie Van Halen, they need a good video. Pretty circular. I thought that was super. Super smart way of setting up them adapting to time travel so fast. It's, it was a perfect an analogy. <laughs> it was because they were like, wait, but we need this to do this and this to do this. But that loops us back around to the beginning thing. And you have a whole like who's on first sort of a thing. But it was such a good way to set up that these guys are receptive to time travel and will pick it up quickly. I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, they rock too hard and they, they blow a fuse, but then they realize they have to go to school and this is the introduction of we have the the air guitar happens here where mm-hmm. we hear what they're playing mm-hmm. <laughs> while they're just miming it in in the air. Thought it was really well done. Happens multiple times in the movie. Cultural touchstone. Loved it. Mm-hmm. We get to school. We find out they're going to flunk if they don't get their act together. I believe it's history class. Mm-hmm. We're back at Ted's house and we find out that his dad has found about this uh, failing grade, and he's all prepared to ship him off to military school, which would break up the band and basically dash their dreams and the future. We cut to the future, and we see that the crystal, which was in the abstract opening, turns into a phone booth, mm-hmm. and we get our signature catchphrase, which is how we sign off uh, every episode of this. Mm-hmm. That's apparently how everybody says goodbye in the future. <laughs> Be excellent to each other. Party on. Do- it's a call and response situation. Yeah. So really, really neat. And everyone in the future wears sunglasses. Yeah. Yeah. Were they floating or they were, were there floating. chairs on the wall? Okay. It, I mean, there were definitely just chairs under them. But yeah, yeah. you're m- meant to believe these three leaders, maybe? They're elevated above all of the people everybody that walk else. on the ground. They're, yes. they're magnets. Yeah. It's maglev. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. 7,000 years and we're only at Maglev. That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut back to Bill's house, right? And they're trying to devise a scheme to get this project done. We find out that they, the, the crux of the project is what would these historical figures think of San Dimas today? Mm-hmm. And we get this really kind of bizarre, pervy thing that's going on here. So we find out Bill's stepmom <laughs> was a senior when they were freshmen and mm-hmm. is now married to Bill's dad. So she comes in <laughs> and she's she's a good looking she's a good looking woman. And you know she bends over and we see down her shirt and both of them are gawking. And then his dad comes in. What sets off this 
series of events where the dad basically now wants to have sex with the stepmom in Bill's room. I, I was not clear about what set that off. The fact that she's a teenager. Yeah. And he like... Is that it? He, There's no event. He like checked... He checked her out before that. Like it, it was just... Yeah. Yeah. He just, you know... It just something came over him. Those grilled cheese sandwiches look so bad. And I know that was a joke. Like, that was the point. Yeah. Is she can't yeah. even they cook grilled rough. cheese sandwiches. They looked so gross. It made me unhappy for grilled cheese sandwiches in general. <laughs> right. Like, the platonic ideal of grilled cheese was offended by those grilled cheese sandwiches. Very black. They were charcoal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that happens. I do have somewhere around this point in my notes, uh, uh, just one little note that says, I really miss the days of crop tops on men. And that's just because Bill is wearing a crop top in this entire movie. Uh, oh, but yeah. it was it was right around now that it really struck me that it was a crop top. And I was like, man, I wish dudes wore <laughs> crop tops more. Yeah, a lot of belly button, you know. I'm into it's, it. It's pretty prominent throughout yeah. the rest of the film, hey, too. If, yep. You know, yep. if we can bring back cuff earrings, I'm on board for men in crop tops. <laughs> crop tops. Yeah. <laughs> that is the mission. That is Let's the secret it, mission like of this it. podcast. No, I'm cutting up a sweatshirt right now. <laughs> right. In closet studios. In closet studios, That's yeah. great. So from here, we cut to the Circle K. Which... Oh, you know what? Wait, before we get to the Circle K. Yeah. There is a line in this movie that drove me more crazy than any historical anything, any time travel anything. Wow. They talk about going to the Disney World Hall of Presidents, but they are in <laughs> oh, San yeah. Dimas, California, and it right. has never been called Disney World in Southern California. That's and true. I guarantee you these two guys in high school have never been to Florida. <laughs> I guarantee you that the Hall of Presidents that they went to was in Disneyland, which clearly indicates that the people writing this movie know nothing about San Dimas or nothing about Disneyland. One or the other. Or both. Right. It's, it's got to be one or the other. But Come on, there's guys. no way that two teenagers in San Dimas, California have been to Disney World and not Disneyland. Uh, and the Hall of Presidents is the same in both. But that, that drove me nuts because the second that they said it, I was like... <laughs> Have I totally misunderstood what these characters live the entire time? Because if you're in Midwest or anywhere on the Eastern Seaboard, I generally assume that the only place that they've been to Disney is Disney World. But if you are anywhere near California, that's where you've been. When you've been to Disney, you've been to Disneyland, not Disney World. And that line drove me bonkers. It's right down the street, essentially. So yeah, come on. so close <laughs> to San Dimas. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, we don't know if it was a writing thing, line delivery, who knows, but... No, it was definitely a writing thing. It's important to note, so... Someone who works in California and lives in California should have said, hey, we're in California, let's <laughs> right. oh. say Disneyland, but they did not. Got it. All right. So, we're at Circle K, and they are just asking random passersby about the people involved in their project. So they ask about Genghis Khan. Mm -hmm. They are asking about Joan of Arc and things like that. And we get what 
in my opinion, is it's a line that I use anytime I see a Circle K. <laughs> the the phone booth comes down. Strange things are afoot <laughs> yeah. at the Circle K. I wrote that quote in my notes because I liked it so much. There was a Circle K. This is a local thing, everybody. Sorry. There was a Circle K at Spring Garden in Delaware Ave for the longest time. And anytime I passed by it, strange things are afoot. <laughs> and that's normally true for that exact location, for sure. <laughs> we get... Rufus, the introduction, he's kind of explaining things. And then an, another version of Bill and Ted show up in a different, the same phone booth from the future next to it. And this is where the Back to the Future rules are out of the door where you, it's totally fine to you see, can't yourself see yourself yeah, they... and explain things to yourself. It's great. <laughs> We're introduced to this concept of the circuits of time where this phone booth, you go in, there's a directory, you punch in some numbers, you press the pound and the star symbol at the same time, and you go there through the circuits of time. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. The, the first place we go is Austria. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we go there with uh, Rufus. They scoop up Napoleon. And <laughs> this is where we start to find out that these guys are <laughs> they're smart. Even though they sound dumb, they're smart. You get the line... That was most unprecedented, Rufus. <laughs> well, even before then, when they, even before they get to the Circle K, they're telling Bill's dad that they're about to flunk most egregiously. Right, yeah. And that's when <laughs> I first wrote down in my notes, like, teenagers who are about to flunk out don't say we're about to flunk most egregiously. <laughs> right, it they is. They just don't. <laughs> Those are not words that would come out of their mouth. Right. Exactly. That that trip to Austria is just a little bit of a kind of a, a taste test for them to show what is what is possible. Rufus brings them back to San Dimas, and the plan then emerges where they're going to capture historic figures for the report, let them experience San Dimas, and then write their findings. So Rufus leaves and then sends an empty telephone booth back for them to use. And they left Napoleon in the present to be under the under the care, babysat by, by Deacon, his, his little brother. His little brother is watching Napoleon from here. This is just a series of places now. So we start in New Mexico, and as Whitney mentioned earlier, pretty lowbrow humor. We start off uh, next to some outhouses, lots of Pooping. farts, lots of farts. Yep. Right, the the phone booth lands right between. Two outhouses. And another Disney reference is made here. <laughs> they said it's just like Frontierland. <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was, good. that was pretty good. Yeah. They go to the bar. They're not sure who they're looking for yet. Uh, they order a beer and remark that they haven't been carded, which was pretty cool. Yeah, he's like, we got to mm-hmm. remember this place. <laughs> right, we <laughs> got to remember funny. to come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, in walks Billy the Kid. And he needs two people. Because he's going to be cheating at poker. We find that out in the next scene. A fight breaks out all around them because of this cheating. I thought it was really well done. It actually reminded me a little bit of Airplane. Oh, yeah. The, there's a huge brawl that happens on the mm-hmm. plane. A lot of people flying all over the place. There was a really great scene where Bill gets thrown down the bar and his head goes through the wall and Ted mm-hmm. right next to him. We see some ladies, perhaps ladies of the night on the other side. Ted gets pulled out of the wall, but then he sticks his head back in yeah. for another Ooh, look. That was I was good. like, ah, oh, that's nice. That's nice. 
Suffice it to say, they make an escape. They bring Billy with them. The next place they go is ancient Greece. I'd say we're here for about 60 seconds. We hear (laughs) Socrates, as they call him, Mm -hmm. philosophizing in ancient Greek. And they connect with him through, just like in pop quiz, the Kansas lyrics. (laughs) All we are is dust in the wind. That really sets Socrates off. He's in. He's going to accompany these men on their journey. Great. Yeah. So um, as you might expect in time travel movie, there's a good amount of anachronisms. Excellent. And I, I, I kind of pulled some of them. Um, one of the ones that pulled up here for this scene was that all the buildings were in stark white, which is kind of how they look today. Yeah. Um, but actually back in 410 BC, um, they would have been in bright colors. So they would have been painted in an almost multicolor. Um, so that was a, a bit of an error. And then, uh, wait, you're telling me this movie isn't accurate. And then, no, that's, what's fun about this movie, <laughs> no, 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 right? Um, yeah, but it's the best. also in the scene, uh, there's a line where he says like the sands of the hourglass. Um, but an hourglass wasn't invented until the eighth century AD in Europe. Whoa. So okay. those are just two that there'll be more, but, um, okay. two that related to that. <laughs> I look, I look very forward to those, Evan. <laughs> Good. I love anachronisms. Um, but the, the thing that started to irk me here and then kind of throughout these, these tra- little thing, but the, the phone booth would always land right near the person that they needed. Um, yes. And I don't know if yep. that's because in their, like, directory it would say, like, go to where, you know, Abraham Lincoln is or if it was just go to this time period. But I was like, how accurate is it? Right. I just, <laughs> well, they were looking people up in the in the book. Like Sigmund Freud was one of the people in the book. Okay. So if, yeah, if they were looking up people, because I know at one point it was like they were looking up Mon- like Mongolia, and so I just didn't really know. But if it, if it was people, then that's a whole other thing. Anyway, I mean, it's technology from seven the year seven thousand or seven thousand years from nineteen eighty eight. So it's pretty good. I'm assuming it's pretty. It's. <laughs> There could still be some bugs. I don't it's know. Pretty sharp, probably, yeah, but uh, right. it's pretty. This is the point where they, to, I almost assuredly, to save on budget, a lot of the appearing and disappearing of the booth happens off screen, and you just get like the flash of the light from it, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty smart because we've at this point you've seen what it does. I don't know four or five times right. now. Yeah. Yeah. Like we get it. You don't have to keep showing us. Yep. Same thing Agreed. with the DeLorean and Back to the Future. Right. Yep. So really nice. We are now in medieval England. We have Socrates and Billy the Kid with us. They step out of the phone booth, and here's a line that is uttered that made me laugh. It was actually Whitney's intro. I thought this was amazing. We are in most excellent shape for our report. All we need is one more speaker from medieval. Excellent. Billy, you are dealing with the oddity of time travel with the greatest of ease. (laughs) (laughs) everybody would be thinking the same thing like how are these people okay with this and they just address it directly and it was great it was so funny yes it was very funny i also laughed at that yeah (laughs) oh good good there are a lot of moments like that in this film we're not Mm going to use all those clips but uh suffice it to say a lot of great just one-liners that are thrown away throughout so in medieval england they approach a castle And up in the distance, in one of the high, high walls of the castle, we see two, as they're referred to, babes. 
And immediately, our two heroes are smitten. They are in love. They need to go find a way to talk to the babes. Do you know what else we see in this scene? An anachronism? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A, a lightning rod, which uh, would not have been invented until 1749 by Benjamin Franklin. Hashtag Philadelphia. It's on, I'm assuming it's on one of the towers. I didn't notice it at the time, but yeah. Yep. All right. Good. There was a really funny thing that was happening in the background here that it was like a blink and you miss it thing where Billy the Kid and Socrates are playing with a football. Football? In the background. Great. I'm so glad someone else saw it. It was great. Yes. I brought it back. I was like, what are they doing? It's like I was this like, red... where did the football come from? <laughs> exactly. How do either of them know? Like, obviously, we've been throwing things around as long as there have been things to throw. But yeah. also, like, the, the football, if you hand Socrates a football, is he going to know to play catch? I don't think so. <laughs> well, Billy the Kid right. had, was playing with it at, when they got Socrates. Yeah. Whoa. So I did, I did not even notice it that time. Yeah, he was, like, sitting on the stairs playing with it. Interesting. So maybe it was just in the booth, perhaps. It must have been. There's or no in their way, book bag. There's no way to actually know. Oh, okay. Yeah. That explains it. I don't know. Neither of these guys seem like football guys to me. <laughs> no, not, not on the team, for sure. We have the jocks in this movie. We know what they look like. They wear a uniform. Yes. So they sneak into the castle, and in order to fool a guard, they hide in suits of armor. We get... Mm-hmm. A really cool heavy metal joke here. <laughs> Again, it's so earnest that I laughed at it. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, they, heavy metal, they play air guitar, you hear the little riff. Great. Yeah. So here is where... Now we're in it. Yeah. This is... Okay. So this is where we have a joke that that doesn't hold up really well at all. Um, <laughs> what happens is Bill pushes Ted down the steps, whatever. He goes to go look at the bottom of the steps. The The suit of armor is laying there, and it's run through with a sword. We believe Ted to be dead. Yes. A lot of stuff happens. We fake out these guards. Uh, turns out Ted fell out of the suit on the way down the steps. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, they yeah, hug. that's not possible. But okay. <laughs> if you look at the suit, it's definitely not possible because we saw the back of it. It's great. Uh, they hug. And then they separate really quickly and just pardon the language, just quoting the movie. They mm-hmm. at each other say fag, mm-hmm. you know, with a you know a little bit of stank on it. Right. Yeah. And but then they just go about the rest of it. So that is, you know, not great. And I think I think even more so than it not playing because it is a movie that's dated and that's never like we would never use that kind of slur now in a yeah. movie. But I also think that it it doesn't fit and it stands out so egregiously because none of the rest of the movie is like that. And that's yes. part of the thing that I noticed at the very beginning that I've already talked about is like how earnest a bromance it is and how non-toxic the masculinity in it is. And so it doesn't it throws you off even outside of the context of we would never use that slur now in a movie of they weren't ever worried about being too touchy-feely or being too close or being friends that were being mistaken for being a couple. That's never once anyone's concern in this movie. So why is it a concern now? And it doesn't, It like, it's jarring even in the context of the film and the time. Yeah, I agree. Even if it's not ever something that's okay to say now, like, even 
at that time period where you could say it in movies and people said it and there's multiple movies of this era that are like oh, happy-go-lucky, yeah. you know, family-friendly movies that have that word in it. But like, um, it just didn't make sense to me because up until now and everything after now, they are so close and they are so not worried about being considered gay and it like that the, that part of it never even enters into their minds let alone like this social context so it was just super super weird and upsetting for me yeah it was definitely just the only really for me like one of the lowest low points in a in an otherwise very upbeat move it was the only thing where i was like whoa there's there's a couple there's a couple that have to do with women and how women are portrayed okay. that are a little bit later on, but that was the biggest one for me, for sure. There's a couple of other things that I feel like didn't age as well, but the the big one for me was this joke just didn't make sense, even when that was like a funny thing to say. It didn't make sense because of the way the rest of the movie is treated. So Yeah, yeah. So they uh, we move on past that, and then it's, you know, it's all fun again <laughs> for the most yeah. part. They they find, and I'm just referring to them as they are in the movie, they find the babes, as it were, mm-hmm. these two princesses. We find out they are to be wed to... <laughs> uh, ugly royal dudes, ugly I believe. Ro- <laughs> ugly royal dudes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they need to make an escape. That does not happen. They are caught and then sentenced to be executed. In the next scene, we see them on the chopping block, but surprise, the executioners are actually Billy the Kid and Socrates. They cut the ropes that are binding them, and they make their escape. They leave the princesses behind, though, unfortunately. We get to the phone booth, which is on the back of this cart. (laughs) They've said it's black magic, (laughs) and we Mm -hmm. travel to the future. Here is the origin of the catchphrase, right? Which is a weird thing. So they step out. All of these people come to greet them. A lot of reverence, clearly. <laughs> this is their Jesus. The, you know, mm-hmm. These are their Jesuses. And uh, they expect them to say something. And it, it, here it is. They say, uh, be excellent to each other. <laughs> Party on dudes. Which they created in the future and then mm-hmm. take back and say in the past. And then it becomes the motto of the future. So again, mm-hmm. we have this weird snake eating its own tail situation, but <laughs> super, super cool nonetheless. Just a side fun fact, uh, while it's still occurring in my mind, uh, yeah. when when we mentioned the uh, ugly royal dudes, uh, they say dude 70 times in a 91 minute movie. That's awesome. <laughs> nice. That's a good count. It's a good yeah. number to know. Yeah. I guess I should also probably, I wouldn't mind rewatching this film again to figure out how many times Keanu says, whoa, in this movie, because it's yeah. a lot. I did not keep track of that, and I wish that I had. And I did also did not keep track of the dudes. I was not counting dudes the entire time that I was watching. It was just something that I saw when I was reading reviews, is that Got there's it. 70 dudes in a 90-minute movie. There are a lot of scenes where we cut back just to check in on Napoleon. This is one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're at Ziggy Piggy. And he's eating ice cream, a lot of it. And he wins another medal, which is pretty funny. From there, we go to Austria, and we need to grab Frude, who is actually <laughs> Frude. Sigmund Freud. Yeah. <laughs> so they just kind of, this is the one that's basically an abduction. They just go and grab that. He, they lasso they him, lasso, don't they? Yeah, they Billy the kid him. lassos him. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. 
everything else, everyone kind of comes along pretty willingly. But this one, they're definitely like, no, this is a kidnapping. Come with us, Freud. <laughs> right. We got time is of the essence. <laughs> From there, we go to Germany and we grab Beethoven. So that was kind of neat. There was a really cool detail here. I, I don't know if this is apparently uh, Beethoven was either deaf or very hard of hearing. And yes. he's rocking away on the piano here. And we hear the phone booth and everybody in the audience watching him looks in that direction, but mm-hmm. he's either too focused does not, or doesn't yeah. hear it. I was like, oh, that's pretty nice. Pretty good. He is unfortunately playing a Steinway, which uh, <laughs> was... <laughs> when were Steinways invented? Uh, 43 years later. Ah, okay. Uh, okay. This was a prototype. That's that's, that's, I was going to say, that's not as bad as some of the other ones that <laughs> no, we've mentioned. No, it's pretty close, actually. Yeah. 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 All right. Good to know. Good to know. That's... I, I like that. I, I kind of like this. I hope there are many more of these. Have. Well, it's funny because they, they spent a lot of time like zooming in on the Steinway logo. Did you notice that at the end of that scene? I did. What, they they pick him up on the bench yeah. and take like they take the whole bench away from the piano. <laughs> and then it's like a shot of the keys and the logo, which you're right. And it just lingers on it for a moment. You're like, what's I'm going sure on here? Product placement. Sure. It had to have been. Yeah. Which was, you know. A plug for Steinway. I'll take it if if that's what it took for this movie to get made. Steinway, <laughs> yeah. Steinway doesn't have many options or opportunities to be but. prominently <laughs> featured in a movie, so I'm sure they were like, "Hell yeah, we'll we'll put our logo all over the place." Right, executive producer in in Bill and Ted, <laughs> target audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Steinway. Oh, okay, good, 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 good. All right. From Germany, we go to France, and we see this young woman with a sword, and she kneels down and begins praying, and her prayers are answered, I guess, by Bill and Ted. The mm-hmm. phone booth opens in front of her, and they a hand is reached out for her. She, I guess she assumes this is the sign she's been looking for. She comes with them immediately. Uh, I got a real strong Winona Ryder vibe from that. That actress oh, there. Yeah. I don't know if either of you picked up on that. Um, but yeah, she. I don't know if she has a word in the entire movie, to be honest. She does not. Yeah, so that's a Bechdel fail right there. Yeah, no, that was one of the things that I... Uh, she says something in French at one point later on, but she does not say a word of English. I think even Napoleon says one or two things, even yes, though... he does. In English, yeah. So, all right. From there, we go to Mongolia, and we're getting Genghis Khan. I believe that's a pretty accurate portrayal of him as someone who just eats and then decides that he wants to have sex with somebody and forces himself on her. Mm -hmm. So he was a bad dude. Very bad. I actually just learned a fact about Genghis Khan that apparently one in 200 people can in one way trace their lineage back to him procreating with very many different women. Is that true? Wow, that is... <laughs> that's a lot. One in 200? Yeah, that's what, the, that's what the fact was. I didn't fact check. Wow. I'm not going to. If you read it on the internet, it's probably true, so... Right. That's what they say. <laughs> the com- that's the common turn of phrase. If you read it on the internet, it's probably true. It's gotta be. It's gotta be. So we grab Genghis Khan, and <laughs> we're checking back in on Napoleon in San Dimas. We find him cheating at bowling. This is this is interesting to me. He's the one keeping score. You would you assume he's sitting at the scorecard there. 
I, bowling is, if you have not been exposed to it ever, which I assume he wasn't, that's a very difficult game to keep score of because, you know, strikes and spares, there's a lot of a lot of math going on there. Yeah. So he, I think he was doing a great job, all things considered. I think <laughs> they did a good job of, like, subtly representing Napoleon Complex in this, like, for almost <laughs> yes. all of his scenes. Like, he was always trying mm-hmm. to one-up and trying to be a bigger person. And, and, and I thought that was really good and, and, and well done. Subtlety. He, uh, he makes a fool of himself by uh, throwing a gutter ball and then also going down the lane a little bit. At that point, Deacon and his friends decide to ditch him. So he's uh, he is now on his own, Napoleon. We are now in San Dimas at, I believe it is 1 million BC. So, yeah. and the phone booth is broken at this point. We find out that the antenna is all busted up and we need to fix the antenna. You see Bill's up there. He breaks a piece off. The solution is uh, bubble gum and tins of chocolate. I'm not really sure. by every person there. (laughs) Pretty funny. Right. Everybody has their own piece of bubble gum that they chew and spit out and put into a ball. When it gets to Keanu, fearlessly, he just, he brings the ball of gum with everyone's saliva to his mouth. And I was like, wow, well done. Well done. trust. (laughs) But I I think it was like. All of these people. I think it was pudding. Was what they were eating. Was it pudding? It was pudding okay. and not chocolate, yeah. Got it. Okay, so they rig the antenna with these tins of pudding. And I mean tin because they really were metal. And uh, fix the rest of it with bubblegum. And then, unfortunately, we see humans, which did not exist in 1 million <laughs> B.C. in California. Oh, no. We are the anachronism? We Unbelievable. are, yes. Or like Neanderthal, something similar, but... None of those in right. 1 million BC in California. Okay. Also, there was no right. California. So, But you get it. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a very different, very different landscape overall. It's yeah. crazy. We travel to San Dimas present day, and this is the beginning of the loop that we saw. Strange things are uh, once again afoot at the Circle K. <laughs> yeah. Except how come the number we dialed for San Dimas brought us here instead of to tomorrow, Rufus? Because in San Dimas, it is tomorrow, William. You have to dial one number higher. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Rufus. And you better hurry, because you don't have much time. What do you mean, Rufus? We got 10 hours left. Mm -hmm. You got two hours. Huh? Ted, you forgot to wind your watch again. And after you reminded yourself not to. Well, I better remind myself again. Ted, don't forget to wind your watch. Thanks, Thanks, Rufus. Rufus. Catch you later, Bill and Ted. That conversation made more sense this time. (laughs) That conversation made more sense this time. time. (laughs) I love that. So good. So good. This is the part for me where they they do the the check. What number are we thinking? And they both they all say sixty nine. Yeah. <laughs> this is where Rufus looks at the camera, and I lost it because he's like, yeah. "Oh my god!" I can't, like he's almost in disbelief that these are the people that they worship. Yeah. it's pretty these are funny. The leaders of the free world in the future. <laughs> right. We have a chore montage where essentially they cannot proceed any further in the story until the chores are done. So every one of the historical figures. Takes a chore to do. Yeah, it was Ted's it house. It was pretty funny. Okay, Ted's house. He can't leave until all this stuff's done. No, Everybody's... it's Bill's house because it's Bill's mom. That's right. 
they they all go there as a rally point and what we're doing now is looking for Napoleon. He's the last piece of the puzzle. We need to find Napoleon. But they can't do that. <laughs> without the car, without someone driving them, and that's Bill's mom. <laughs> right. So there's that. Pretty funny. And she says, do your chores. And so then Genghis Khan is cl- learning how to clean a toilet. <laughs> right. Not not before drinking water directly from it, which was pretty, uh, you know, it was pretty good. Yeah. Here's our, here's our Napoleon check-in. They, we think... Bill and Ted asked themselves, if we were a famous general mm-hmm. set in modern-day San Dimas, mm-hmm. where would we go? <laughs> and it strikes them that they would Waterloo. go to... <laughs> water park. Yep, that's... Of course. Obviously. Of course. We see this water park. It, it actually looks like a fair amount of fun. There's a lot of shots of Napoleon going down various water slides. Mm-hmm. Poorly, in my opinion. He's tumbling down some of them. It looks pretty painful. Mm-hmm. Bill and Ted get them, and they take everybody to the mall. This is where they're going to get a sense of what San Dimas is like. They visit some stores. They visit the food court. Everybody breaks off on their own. There's uh, (laughs) Essentially, everyone ends up getting arrested. I believe Joan of Arc takes over an aerobics class. That was one of the problems that I had. Okay. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. With this movie was Joan of Arc taking over an aerobics class. Well, it was just like, they were like, what could a girl do at a mall? And an aerobics class is a weird answer for me. Like, there's a lot of things that Joan of Arc could have found to do that were, I don't know. Uh, It was just like, their explanation later at the end, when they're like, because the whole report is about what would people think of, what would these people from the past think of San Dimas now? And so every single person that they talk about in the report is what they learned in San Dimas and what they will take back with them to the past. And for Joan of Arc, it's aerobics to train her troops. And I think that's such a far stretch for Joan of Arc. And it was just like an 80s thing of like what women do. Yeah. That it just really bothered me. It just stood out to me as something that they were just like, what do women do aerobics? Let's have her do that. I feel like there's something... Way more like what Genghis Khan did. Like, I feel like something like that would have been perfect for her where he's in a sporting goods store and he starts seeing all the sporting goods stuff as weapons. That's something that Joan of Arc would have been much better at. Or Joan of Arc being in, like, the food court and seeing all the neon as signs from God. Something like that. Like, there's something that they could have done that would have been funnier and also would not have been as overtly sexist as what they did. And so, yeah. Absolutely. Should be worth noting. Written by two men, directed by a man as well. So there is that. Yeah. So like Whitney said, everybody uh, does. Is this the part? Does Billy the kid fire a gun in the mall? I think I remember that. So that's why he gets arrested with him is Socrates, who I guess is just arrested by affiliation. I like the kind of buddy cop thing that happens from the very beginning and kind of lasts (laughs) throughout of Billy the kid and Socrates being bros. That would be, I would watch that movie as well. As I long as it too. had that same upbeat tone of this one, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Suffice to say, everyone gets arrested and taken down to the police station. So at this point, and maybe for the past maybe one or two locations, we've been cutting back to the school where these presentations are actually taking place. And in the back, we have uh, very conveniently placed as a clock. 
and then a sheet of paper with everyone's uh, name and presentation <laughs> time. Bill and Ted, of course, the last presentation at 2.45 p.m. <laughs> and at some point, it gets they get marked off as an F. <laughs> Without them, yeah. you know, it's like they're not going to show up. It's going to be bad. Mm-hmm. We are in this interrogation scene at the at the precinct here, which uh, features Bill's dad. He is the... Is it ever established what his rank is? The no. captain, lieutenant? He's some he's a detective, maybe something. Real hard ass kind of cop. He asks Lincoln what his birthday is. Great. Someone's questioning Freud. And uh, <laughs> he re- he responds by asking the cop to tell him about his mother. Thought that was yeah. pretty good. Yeah. We uh we cut back to San Dimas High School, and uh, we get one of the best probably the second best presentation, uh, in my opinion. I'm gonna play it. Everything is different, but the same. Things are more moderner than before. Bigger, and yet smaller. <laughs> it's computers. San Diego High School Football Room! <laughs> it's perfect. It's computers. <laughs> Just, I loved it's it. Computers. It's computers. true. And that went on to be uh, a phrase, I believe, uh, the Ataris wrote a the Ataris, song. correct. San Dimas yes. High School Football Rules. It's great. So we go back to the precinct. Bill and Ted are there, and they have to break everybody out of prison. Yep. They have to get all their historical figures out. Right. To get them to school, to get the presentation done. Uh-huh. This is where we start the stealing keys time loop. That mm-hmm. Do you have... Do, do you understand it now, Ev? Yeah, yeah. I thought about it for and, okay. and we're good. <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I've been sweating. The keys are gone because they stole them two days ago and put them behind the sign, which is right next to them. It allows them to get in. The next series of things that happen, they need to create a diversion. So they say, remember to set up a tape recorder on a loop and have it go off at 2.13. That distracts dad out of the way. Then they move on further into the precinct, and there's something printed on a piece of paper here. It says, you know, I, I can't remember the exact thing, but it tells them at the last minute to duck. To and duck. they duck, and they, you know, a cop passes by. And then they get in, break everybody out, and at the last minute, Ted's dad comes in. He's like, remember a trash can, which I wasn't super sure what that was going to do. But a trash can drops from the ceiling onto Ted's dad's head, yeah, trapping they him. They do not explain how it falls and traps him. Nope. They just <laughs> no. say, remember a, trap, a trash can, and then the trash can falls down. They do not explain, set a trap. <laughs> it was... Like Wiley e. Coyote. Perfectly executed. Perfectly yeah. executed. Now we get to the report. All right. We see the end of one person's presentation and the teacher, their history teacher, thanks everybody for coming out, giving their reports, says they're going to end a little bit early because the last people to arrive uh, are not uh, showing up, which obviously Mm -hmm. we know is Bill and Ted. And then the lights get killed. And and what I wrote down was, shit is about to get real (laughs) because this is the most elaborate of all (laughs) of the presentations thus far. We get a phone booth that appears, right? Yep. Special effects there. All of the historical characters come out onto stage. Bill and Ted uh, introduce them. They each go through and talk about what they do with think. talent. 
Right. They what they think <laughs> to a talent what they think about San Dimas. Uh, Ted is the interpreter for Socrates, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other standout moments here? I, I have one, the final one. But did, did did you particularly like anything else that the other characters were up to? Uh, I really liked Genghis Khan's like martial arts talent performance yeah. to show that he was Genghis Khan. <laughs> right. Proof. Because it was not like, hey, pillage a bunch of villages or, you know pull a still beating horse horse heart out or whatever they were like eh, do like a you know like a kung fu-y thing with a with a stick <laughs> yes there there was uh there was a moment where uh sigmund freud is diagnosing ted on, mm-hmm. on a couch on stage and then mm-hmm. he offers bill the opportunity and bill self-diagnosis is just having a minor edible minor complex. edible thing <laughs> yep i thought that was Maybe the funniest part of the movie where Bill's like, no, man, I'm good. I don't need right. it. I know that I just have a minor Oedipal thing. It's cool. <laughs> it and was, it was hilarious. That was that was wonderful. I like that a lot. Again, not stupid guys. Right. They He knew what that was, what that meant, and delivered uh-huh. it exactly. Yeah. So, Perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and has a self-awareness, too, which, mm-hmm. you know... Not a lot of dumb people have that exactly. either. So. Exactly. <laughs> we get a, a, a quick line about uh, Mozart's up there playing, rocking the piano. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a quick line that Mozart loves uh, Bon Jovi or a Slippery yeah. When Wet. <laughs> Something yeah. like yeah. that. Slippery was When like, Wet. That was a great little, just another one-off line. They just throw it away. And uh, perhaps the greatest is the, uh, the, final, the final speech here. Four score and... Seven minutes ago, we, your forefathers, were brought forth upon a most excellent adventure, conceived by our new friends, Bill and Ted. These two great gentlemen are dedicated to a proposition which was true in my time, just as it's true today. Be excellent to each other. And... Party on, dudes! Absolutely great. Yeah. Let me let me ask both of you this because you had mentioned it in in the last episode. How are you feeling about the fact that they mentioned basically the title of the movie in the film multiple times? Um, that's funny. We did mention it. Yeah, I'm into it. For, for <laughs> right. me, it was never like like with Dangerous Liaisons when she says Dangerous Liaisons and it takes me out of the movie because I'm like, ho wink wink nudge nudge. Yeah, it's the yeah. movie. Uh, yeah, it was it I, uh, was just more of a descriptor in this movie. I mean, they really were on an excellent adventure. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It, it was totally unrelated. That's just how Lincoln maybe described it. So, all mm-hmm. right, good to know. Good to know. P.S. Another anachronism: oh. the music playing behind Lincoln, "America the Beautiful," not uh, first published in 1910. The poem's older. The music was separate, but like didn't happen until 1910. So if you're Obviously, you're in a modern school, but yeah. it was playing behind Lincoln 
that song wasn't written yet. Interesting. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. See? Figuring all the all the little bits out mm-hmm. here. Suffice it to say, they pass with flying color. A plus. A plus. The band is safe. Humanity they can stay together, yes. Is safe. <laughs> Uh, in a surprise twist, I, I mean, maybe not a surprise twist, Rufus shows up at the end. They're practicing in the garage once again, and he brings the princesses along, mm-hmm. and they're going to take them to prom. And herein lies the third of my three problems with this movie. Okay. Um, these women, so we've talked about this earlier, are only referred to as either the princesses or the babes. Yes. But also, they are, the girls are, in this movie, are treated either as sex objects with no names, Mm. who are literally given to these guys as a reward for passing their history test, or they're not treated as women at all. Like, Joan of Arc is not treated like a woman at all, with the exception of the aerobics thing. Yes. Or it's like your 19-year-old stepmother who you have an Oedipal complex about, or these two women who are literally like a, a gift for passing your history test mm. mm-hmm. and with no names at all. Like, I don't even remember, does his stepmom have a name? Yes, they say it. They say it because he keeps correcting her, himself to say mom yes. af- instead of her name. Okay. But it's just like, they're, they're just treated as sex, sex objects in this movie and being literally like rewarded with these two women drove me nuts and was totally unnecessary because we already had like a, 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 a satisfying climax to the movie. Like they've already won. They got their A pluses. The band stays together. They've saved humanity with their music in the future. There didn't need to be two women as gifts mm. <laughs> from the medieval times. We find out though through Rufus Yes, that, that the they two, are members of the band. They are members of the band, although that does not forgive their treatment here. I don't know. Hmm. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that they are in the sequel to this movie okay. and have names and speaking roles beyond. Great. <laughs> you know, beyond the. Great. Uh, I'm good. super right. into that. Like yeah. make them real people. That would be no- nice. Thank you. My question is, where do they live? Did these two teenagers? <laughs> Take in, like, gift women into their homes with their parents from the medieval period. Solid, solid uh, question there. Also, they, just like everybody else, they seem totally cool with their surround. There's no shock at all. They're super chill with now we live in the future forever. (laughs) Yeah, they seemed into it. Yeah. They were already well, dressed I mean, they in were prom gonna get, clothes. They yeah. were going to get married off to ugly, ugly royal, royal men. Dudes. So that's true. Yeah, I at least Bill and Ted. I, you know, Bill and Ted in in the future are you know at least they're cute and young. <laughs> in addition to bringing the princesses, Rufus gifts Bill and Ted with two very interesting looking guitars. I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever seen anything. Like that since they don't have uh I'm they not don't sure have heads right I don't, where you would t- that's where you tune the guitar am I yeah. wrong about that yeah there's there's like pegs though you, you can still tune them okay so yeah very interesting looking very kind of heavy metal type guitars Rufus bangs out a hell of a solo it's clearly mm-hmm. not George Carlin doing the work but yeah, quite the riff uh, and then <laughs> this movie ends really really wonderfully. Bill, Ted, and the babes, princesses, soon to be named, 
all begin playing, and it's awful. Mm-hmm. And George Carlin looks directly at the camera and says, they, they get, get better. better. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> so. End of movie. End of movie. <laughs> I could save my stuff for last. Let's, let's, let's talk about this. Whitney, how do you ultimately feel about this movie? Would you recommend it? I would recommend it. I thought it was great. It is by far the best movie we've seen so far. And I think that both of these two leads did an incredibly excellent job. Like, so far I feel like Keanu has kind of been the product of his circumstances as far as movies that he's been in. I think he's done some really good stuff with some roles, but I also don't feel like he's necessarily chosen those roles. On paper, these two characters of Bill and Ted are indistinguishable. Like... When you look at the words that they're saying, their dialogue, you cannot tell them apart. <laughs> yes, that's true. The only reason that these two guys are different is because these two actors made them different people with different personality types. Mm. And I think that the 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 Bill being, he has more of the big words, like his vocabulary is a little bit more verbose and he's a little bit more action-based. I think yeah. there's a little bit of swagger to Keanu Reeves, but there's also much more optimism. Yes. And I definitely think there's more sort of dorkiness to him and his optimism that while like, there's nothing though about him while he's got some swagger and while he's got this optimism and whatever, there's nothing about him that says like that he knows what he, that he's like a hot guy with some swagger. He's leaned so much more into the dorky optimist part of the role that I think it's really he really just is so 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 well suited by this role or he is doing such a good job. Like he's shown a lot of depth in other roles where you see a bunch of thoughts going through his face. Like we've talked about silently. You can see the sort of inner world that's happening in his characters. Yeah. But I think he does such a good job in this movie. Like even they both did a good job, but I just think that he brought so much life to a character that is literally indistinguishable from the other character, like as far as on paper. Solid, solid. But yes, I recommend this film. Awesome. Good to know. Evan, what are your feelings ultimately about this? Would you recommend it? Yeah. Yeah, I'll recommend this film. It's funny. It's a good laugh. Um, again, I think they captured time travel well. I think it's fun to think about. Um, and... The uh, just I, I thought that the, the plot was fun, too. You know, it's not it's not an overdone plot. You know, you don't really there's plenty of movies out there where it's like, why did why is there another one of these? Um, so that was that was kind of refreshing. And I think it, I think it's fun. It stands up to the hype for sure. Awesome. I don't think it's any surprise that I highly recommend this film. I really loved it start to finish. I can't believe how well. It holds up. Yeah. A lot of humor from this time. Does not. Is ju- is, it falls completely flat. Mm-hmm. But this, even the moments that were not meant as jokes, just their interactions are funny. They just work really well together, which yep. I guess explains why everybody has been clamoring for the third movie, because it, it, assuming that they <laughs> can at, at least hit this baseline now in their career, mm-hmm. the third movie is going to be... Awesome. It's going to be yep. really, really fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to the second one, which is a couple, I think two years later. So we got a little bit before we get to it, but see where we are there, how they progress and, and what you two think of them at that point. But yeah, I highly recommend it. And now finally, 
Where does this fit into your current rankings of Keanu films? It is the best movie we've seen so far. Yeah, top. All right. I think we all agree. (laughs) There we go. Bill and Ted, number one with a bullet. It's crazy how (laughs) if you saw everything else, he's like Dangerous Liaisons, River's Edge, Permanent Records. Like, no, it's Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted's number one. All right. So next week, Ev will be leading the discussion of a movie called Parenthood. Who among us has seen this movie? I have. I'm pretty sure I have. I know it was a long time ago, and I don't remember Keanu Reeves being in it. So I'm hopeful that I'm not thinking of the, the like a totally different movie. But it, Steve Martin is the lead, I think. And if so, I have seen it, but I don't remember anything about it. I'm pretty confident that I have never seen this movie before, which feels like it might be like a pretty big oversight. Not for me as a fan of Keanu, but just a fan of movies in general. Apparently, when I listed off the movies of 1989, once again, Parenthood popped up just like Dangerous Liaisons did back when we did 88. So I'm looking forward to it. Again, I have have nothing going in, although I did know that Steve Martin was in it, and I'm a big fan of him. Oh, yeah. Can't wait. (laughs) Yeah. Right out of the gate, we're like, okay, Steve Martin, very good, very good. Uh, Let's... Let's bring it in for a landing. You can find our website at coolbreezepod.com and access all of our episodes, list of films we'll be reviewing, and much, much more. You can also reach out to us by emailing coolbreezepod at gmail.com or hitting us up on Twitter at coolbreezepod. If you think this is a podcast you can get behind, please give us a subscription on your preferred platform, and a review would be much appreciated. We'll be back next week, but until then, Whitney, what are you doing on the internet? Yeah, my podcast, Historical Hotties, is uh, my baby, and go listen to us. We talk about the dead people that we fancy, and we do it in different categories. And the most recent one was uh, composer-lyricist duos, and Lindsay and I pitted Gilbert and Sullivan against our guest hosts, uh, Shannon and Scott from the podcast Song Salad, who... uh, do Rogers and Hart. So it's oh. us. Yeah. And it was a really, really fun one. And and Scott Wasterman from Song Salad has worked on Hamilton and he's worked on The Great Comet and and like a whole bunch of very well-known Broadway stuff. And so it's a, it's a really fun episode and they um, I definitely recommend checking it out. That's Historical Hotties and we are at Historically Hot on all social media. And then I'm also on a podcast called Almost Better Than Silence where we talk about video games and a podcast called Myth Takes where we play Monster of the Week and and um, follow at Fast Furious Pod to be updated on when we're going to release the Fast and Furious project that I did. I have no idea when that release date will actually be. So if you follow Fast Furious Pod, you'll find out when I know. And I'm at Whitney underscore Nelson on Twitter. Whitney, it sounds like you almost do too much on the internet. Yeah, it does kind of sound that way, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds terrible. Speaking of which. Yeah. Speaking of doing too much on the internet. Ev, what are you up to on the internet this week This week alone? Yeah. So like Whitney, I'm on a podcast. It's called Cool Breeze Over the Mountain. Um, you can <laughs> find that on, on your favorite uh, listening platform provider of your choice. Um, but also, beyond that, uh, I am on Instagram uh, at Evan Acri. And uh, that happens to be the same handle that I use for Twitter, but don't don't even look me up. It's so bad. <laughs> and uh, I'm also on an app called Untapped, 
where you can learn about what beers I have have consumed. A uh, lot of fun. whole lot of fun. I do ratings and <laughs> where I was when I bought it, and uh, occasionally I'll write notes. So every time there's a photo, though. So definitely worth it. Check me out at Evan Acre all over the place on the internet. Amazing. And so the, the untapped is like a map of your life, really. You can go back and say... This is where I was when this happened, and this is how I was it's feeling. It's literally just four square for beer. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But but it's okay. cool. Don't don't try and make it bigger than it is. <laughs> Either of you. In fact, I think they use four square for like locations. So <laughs> <laughs> Right. That's okay. We just kind of built a, on top of we're like an yeah. atom. It's Beat fine. that, Andrew. Where are you on the internet? Oh boy. So you can follow me pretty much everywhere at Dark Driving. Twitter and Instagram are the things that I check the most. But starting this month, I'm going to be making two videos a month on my YouTube channel in an attempt to show off some of the cool video things I've been working on. So that should be pretty cool. If you're interested, it's also youtube.com slash darkdriving. That'll get you there. And there's a bunch of other properties that I have on there as well. So check that out. It'll be really fun. I'm not on Untapped, unfortunately. That might be, or maybe I am. I don't know. I sign up for things and I just park my name. I just want, I don't want anybody else to have no. my username. So sometimes I'll just squat. I'm going to go get your name on TikTok before you get there and you'll have to buy it from me. Son of a, you can have, you can have that one, buddy. I know that that is not my demographic. So with that, thank you all for joining us. And in the words of Bill S. Preston and Ted Theodore Logan, be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes.